Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. This is thrilling. I've never said that before. Uh, I'm Stephen Hilger. And I, listeners, am Zant. (laughs) He's here. We finally got him. After so many emails, calls, texts, WhatsApps. The minute you said Zant, literally Siri activated on my phone. What the (laughs) hell did you just do? I didn't even have it enabled. Did you rename your Siri to Zant? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Zant. Where's the... You just, yeah, she just came up again. Oh, my God. So, Dom, thank you so much for joining me today. Dominic Nero, everyone. Yes. Not Zant. I've unmasked <laughs> Zant. I'm sorry. Um, you may know him as co-host of the Eye of the Duck podcast, which was a lovely uh, movie podcast. And recently, Brendan filled in for you on yes. Eye of the Duck because you were on your honeymoon. And congratulations on your wedding, Thank by you. the way. You were in Italy, right? How was that? I was. It was unreal. It was uh, the best trip yeah. of my life. It was in- incredible. But yes, Brendan did fill in. It was funny for him to fill in on the Mission Impossible series, like specifically because there are so many like weird mask reveals in that series and so much espionage. (laughs) And I really like the idea that like I take my face off and it's actually Brendan. (laughs) It's been Brendan the whole time. Zant is secretly Dom is secretly Brendan. That, uh... (laughs) I don't know what it is about me, but a lot you and a lot of our friends love tricking me. Like I feel like I'm just always like the victim of surprises or deceit. I'm also very gullible, so like there's a whole era of my life where people would tell me shit. Like we talked about this a lot in um our old Pokemon Red and Blue bonus, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun by the way, but that game is so tethered to like late 90s playground rumors of yeah. like, you know if you talk to the guy 500 times and you shows up or whatever. I believed all of it. I believed it like you know i trusted everybody as did i <laughs> i spent so much time trying to get uh pika blue yeah which, uh, i'm still hunting for today it was so disappointing when pika blue was unmasked to be meryl yeah like, really we were all pumped for like a, a d-list Pikachu rip off. all right whenever i yeah. see him in games today i'm like oh my god i finally caught pika blue but he's like meryl yeah it's like wow that's meryl (laughs) it's like if mewtwo was named norman you're like i just caught norman what is this anyway when after brendan filled in for you which was a very fun episode uh if you haven't listened to it you texted me saying now you owe me a steven dom episode or like there should be a steven dom episode and i assume that would be for our show you meant for your show but regardless uh it worked out serendipitously that brendan was out of town for a lot of this month so rather than just record a bunch of episodes in one session we thought it'd be fun to fulfill the prophecy and have you on so thank you for for filling in brendan's shoes thank you speaking of prophecy and twilight realm and all that stuff i know you've been playing a lot of uh zelda and zelda ish games on a really interesting device the analog pocket right i'd love to hear all about that yeah so i mean it's great to be here because i've been dying for a chance to talk about this device um yeah so I'm sure your listeners know what the Analog Pocket is, but if if they don't, Analog is this company that does these beautiful like uh, retro consoles that are. Uh, it actually feels very into the Aether esque because they're all about game preservation, right? Totally. Yeah. The the thing with them is like I have had my eye on on the Super Nintendo one for a long time because my yeah. Super Nintendo stopped working, but I have a million 
Not uh, a million. I have like 20. Yeah. I have 20 Super Nintendo cartridges. And the thing with analog is that a lot of their stuff actually plays the old games. So like, yeah, you can essentially have like an up to date, like sleek SNES that plays the games, which is really cool. So, but they're always out of stock. It's like really hard to get one. That's the, I mean, so, so then analog comes out with the analog pocket, which unlike these, uh, recent handheld emulators, which I love, and I love hearing you guys talk about them, this thing, and I don't have like the technical know-how to, to really explain it, but, uh, it's called an open FPGA console. So I think the idea is, I mean, it's first and foremost, it takes Game Boy cartridges. So Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, which That's awesome. is really cool. Yeah. And when it first came out, I was lucky enough to get one and I <laughs> I wrote about it for Esquire and called it the best console of 2021, which <laughs> people <laughs> I saw yeah. on Reddit, people were really upset about it because it's not, I mean, it's a handheld, it's not really a console, but nothing else came out in 2021. I don't know what the other, it, yeah. is it like the OLED switch or something? I don't know. I don't think it's a hot take to say the analog pocket is cooler <laughs> than the OLED. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if the biggest selling point is this kickstand is better, that's a little bit uh, <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I saw the analog pocket as this like glorious, you know, device for game preservation and especially, you know, and particularly handheld preservation. And uh, I saw it as something that has so much potential because when it first came out, it really could just take cartridges. But there was this promise of this idea that in the software, there would be this library, which would sort of be like a museum of all like handheld gaming. And it was very like mysterious as to like how exactly it would work. So when it first came out, uh, all you could really do is play cartridges on it. And, you know, listeners, I'm sure you know that they have these flash cartridges that you can just kind of put ROMs on and you can have access yeah. to tons of games. So that's what I was doing initially. But I think the real promise of the device was that eventually it would start having these cores that would not exactly emulate, I guess, but it, they are kind of playing the game off of ROMs, but in like a authentic way that is like replicating the way the consoles originally played the game. I could be, I'm, I'm sure your listeners have a better like explanation for how it works, but that's all to say that in the past few months, analog finally sort of opened up the software to developers. They've been like, you know, people have been waiting for like a quote unquote, like jailbreak of the console for, uh, I guess since 2021, I know that the other analog consoles have jailbreaks and you can, you know, emulate all kinds of stuff on there or not emulate, whatever we're going to call it. Anyway, they opened up the software and now I can um, like natively run Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. And they have a few other cores like Sega, like Master System and Game Gear. But I have uh, been super stoked about it because... It has this beautiful screen. Like the screen is like, you know, iPhone quality and they pack yeah. so many pixels into this really little square. So it's just like, like, it's like going to a museum and like seeing your games, like in the most like crisp, like beautiful quality. Yeah. So I started playing through the Game Boy Color library because it's a, um, it's like a square screen. So Game Boy Advance games look great on it, but it it's widescreen, you know. That's right. Yeah. And it, they weirdly, even on the original Game Boy Advance, they let you change the display ratio. Mm -hmm. So like if you're playing like Pokemon Red on your Game Boy Advance, which I did for the bonus, just for yeah. thrill, uh, <laughs> it, it shows the original square display or you can hit L and then it 
transfers to widescreen. It looks terrible. It looks like you just like took it in Photoshop like stretch and stretched it. it. Right. Yeah. 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 It didn't occur to me that like, you know, Game Boy Advance has such a great library and I, I listened to your yeah. guys episode and I've been trying a lot of Game Boy Advance games, but it, they have the black bars on the top and the bottom of the analog screen. So I really, I want to like see the full use of this screen. So I started checking out Game Boy Color games because they're they're like a square, you know, they're full screen. So that's a long-winded way to say that I landed on uh, Zelda Oracle of Seasons at your recommendation. Yes. And man, like I've really, I really, really like sunk my teeth into that game. It is, uh, I, I was so surprised. I didn't know that Game Boy Color had titles that were that like rich and long and like... Yeah. I mean, it's a long game. I was playing it every night for like weeks and I'm still, I don't think I'm even halfway through. The Game Boy Color, it's interesting you bring it up because it is this sort of middle evolution. It was marketed in a way that was essentially like, it's just Game Boy with color. Yeah. You know, that was like the promise of it. But towards the end of its uh, life before the Game Boy Advance came out, there were a lot of games that were really using like every possible piece of the hardware <laughs> to make games that actually like eventually there were games that couldn't be played on the original Game Boy. So games like Pokemon Crystal, <laughs> Wario Land 3 and the Oracle games like were sort of like a sign of what was to come with the Game Boy Advance, which was like a huge leap for what you would expect from a handheld system. You know, like like, we talk about that a lot in the episode, but at the time, like the the idea of like I can play Super Nintendo games on the go now was miraculous because I think with the Game Boy there was always this assumption that there was a trade off right. that there was something that about the game that was going to be not as good because it was portable. Like I play the shit at a Donkey Kong County or whatever it was called, like Donkey Kong, <laughs> Donkey Land. Kong Land, yeah, <laughs> Donkey Kong County, yeah, and Donkey Kong Township, <laughs> yeah, Donkey Kong Township, exactly. It was. It was, it was a shrunk version of Donkey Kong Country. Like, if you asked me at that age, like, would you rather be playing Donkey Kong Country? I'm like, yeah, but I'm at the <laughs> dentist, so I need exactly, to take yeah. what I can get. <laughs> uh, but Game Boy Color was really like the first time where you saw games that were kind of designed for the handheld. And Oracle games are really, really interesting. I don't think they get enough credit in the Zelda lexicon because... There was Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, which were different games focused mm -hmm. on different things. So Seasons was more action oriented and Ages was more puzzle based. Mm -hmm. And then the central mechanic of each was in Seasons, you had a wand that could change the seasons. And that would almost similar to the puzzles in Skyward Sword where like there was that mine where things would go back and forth in time mm -hmm. and it would like allow you to access different areas. It was kind of like that where like winter, the water would freeze, stuff like that. It was kind of cool. And then Ages was like ocarina you could travel back and forth in time but what was really fascinating is that whichever game you played first mm -hmm. that would count as the first game in that like duology and you would get a password to carry into the next one and it would like slightly change it was a like mass effect it was really interesting <laughs> It's such a cool novel idea. Yeah. And you had been recommending it to me for a long time because I think we've always like connected about Zelda games. Yeah, absolutely. Been talking about them since, you know, for like 10 years now. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy that I finally I mean, so I tried Seasons because you you recommended that you know, has more action and that's kind of more my thing. And that mechanic of the wand thing that changes the weather is such a, I mean, even today, I feel like that would be such a novel, like idea in a game oh, yeah. that it, it completely changes the terrain. It changes the puzzles in like some ways you can only access, you know, certain doors and certain temples and, and dungeons, you know, if you can walk on the ice of the lake 
rather than like swim under it. And uh, I mean, <laughs> it's also really, really hard. <laughs> like it is. Yeah, I've never finished it. I no. uh, I really want to because I want to go into ages with the yeah, me too. <laughs> story. But it's it's very demanding. Um, it's also interesting because that was Capcom working with Nintendo on it. It's the only right. time that, other than the CDI games, which you know are there, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Capcom's the only other like team that's worked on a Zelda game. I guess if you if you count Cadence of Hyrule, that's also a collaboration. Sure. I don't know if that's canon though. Is it? I, I mean, who knows what is <laughs> canon at this point? But where are we on the Zelda timeline right now? Yeah. I would say we're somewhere between <laughs> Ocarina and Wind Waker, but I'm really glad you're enjoying Oracle of Seasons. It's a great time. We've also, uh, you and I were also talking about the strange animals in the game. Oh, yeah. So there are three animal companions. Yes. There's a kangaroo. There's a sad, like, <laughs> dinosaur named Dimitri. Yeah. And then there's a strange, like, bear balloon, if I remember correctly. It's <laughs> yeah. like a flying... Yeah, I I forgot the name of it, but I, I remember I I had chosen the kangaroo not knowing that I would have to like settle on one of them because you are introduced to all three. I kind of wish I got Dimitri, but the kangaroo was fun. I think his name was Ricky. I got to look this yeah. up. Hold on. Ricky is the kangaroo. Moosh is the uh, the bear man that you're talking about, I believe. The bear the bear is a really good one, too. Moosh is a good name. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dimitri. Yeah, Ricky, Moosh, and Dimitri, the three houses of Oracle <laughs> of Seasons. Yeah. It's also like a very wild idea that like if you could imagine in like Breath of the Wild 2, like there would be three animals and you meet them along the way and like you, you climb into the, the, the like pouch of the kangaroo and yeah. his power is that he's a boxing kangaroo and you like box your way through like terrain and stuff. It's great. Yeah. It's so bizarre. Uh, and that's the other thing I really love about playing these. Like they are so uh, willing to have fun with the Zelda formula yeah, I think you see a lot more risk-taking in yeah. the handheld Zelda games. I, I think uh, one of the directors of Link's Awakening, which was the first handheld mm -hmm. Zelda, which was right after A Link to the Past came out, which was the game that set the foundation. Yeah. They said that it was like they were making a parody of Zelda. Because <laughs> um, Link's Awakening has, like, you know, really wild energy. And, like, yeah. like Mario's in it. Uh, you know, he's... He's, like, a, Goombas and stuff, right? Yeah. There's a evil Tanuki who's, like, making you get lost in the woods and then you throw <laughs> dust in its face and then it's mario and he's like i had a dream i ate a big mushroom and i had a dream that i was a raccoon which is a reference to like the tanuki suit and like you know <laughs> the mario and stuff very silly but even like after that like the oracle games with capcom and then minish cap which was also capcom yeah i also remember i don't know who involved said this i apologize for not for not knowing but i believe someone on the team for both the oracle games and the minish cap said that the thing that they loved about zelda and that they kind of focused on for those games was that dual world yeah. so in link to the past you have the the light and dark world mm -hmm. and they really focused on that in the oracle games and also in minish cap which is all about like shrinking and being tiny in size and you experience the world in a totally different way and that's so interesting to to have that be the thing they took and ran with because like so many games outside of nintendo are are influenced and, and openly inspired by Zelda, yet everyone has a very different takeaway from like what it is about the series that inspires you. So in the case of a game like Okami, I feel like it's very much just like the the wonder and like mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the atmosphere and the setting. 
And then you have something like Binding of Isaac, where they're really just taking the dungeon yeah. crawling aspect of the very first one and, and running with that and making it a roguelike. So it's kind of amazing. Like when you say inspired by Zelda, that can kind of mean anything at this point, given how much yeah. the series has changed and grown over the years. I mean, you play through all of like the mainline games, then you come to a game like Oracle Seasons and it's like, this exists? Like there's this, like, I don't know how many, is this like a 90 hour Game Boy Color game that's like yeah. super difficult, super like unique and distinct. I was getting into this great habit playing like a Zelda dungeon a night. I felt like that was, it was such a fun way yeah. to like finish my day. Like I would get all my work yeah. done and everything, lay in bed. That's the joy of the analog pocket and handhelds like this is that you can just lay in bed and like just play through a Zelda dungeon. And the Oracle yeah. dungeons were like just long enough that like I could do a dungeon in like an hour, an hour and a half or something. Totally. Feel very accomplished. Like it's also like very stimulating for your brain. It feels like, you know, this is like actual like puzzle solving. It's hard. It's like doing Sudoku or something. Yeah, it's a really great wind down for yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the the top down, like old school, you know, I don't know if it's eight bit or sixteen bit, whatever the Game Boy color was. It's just like a charming, you know simple, minimal uh, experience for Zelda that is actually way deeper than I expected it to be. Yeah, it's also, I think you can give credit to the Oracle games for maintaining that style of top-down Zelda alongside the 3D ones because yeah. when Oracle of Seasons and Ages came out, it was actually right after Majora's Mask. So oh, right. like the main, the main series had, had wildly changed yeah. and was going down the 3d route, but like Nintendo and I guess by extension Capcom saw a place for the retro style to continue as well. And we still see that today. You know, we have the remake of Link's Awakening for the switch, a uh, link between worlds, like the, the top down Zelda games have kind of continued in almost their own series as the mainline 3d series has continued to experiment and now we're at breath of the wild which is totally different compared yeah. to anything else so i think it's i think it's worthwhile to have both and i think there are other series that sort of do that i mean mario kind of does that too with like you get the the new mario games that are mm -hmm. a side scroller and then you get like odyssey or whatever is coming next which is whatever they wanted to be at this point <laughs> so yeah it's it's i think i think the oracle games were the first to do that which is really cool they're also just really beautiful like i pulled up yeah. this the uh, i think i i texted you the image of the big goron which oh yeah you meet them in a lot of zelda games but in this on the, on the analog screen and like in the game boy color art style like just this gigantic smiling goron person and the little link it's it's kind of wild that on a system as old as the Game Boy Color, they were able to, and, and, and as limited, right, technologically limited, whatever, they were able to create images that are that stunning. It's, yeah. It's really cool. It's almost more impressive in some ways. I mean, yeah. obviously not to discredit like more modern games, but like to establish that sense of scale and wonder with, with very few tools. That's something that I really admire about Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance. You know, I think Game Boy Advance even more so is still like the gold standard for just yeah. like Nintendo yeah. aesthetic. Like that's, I think the best middle ground between like, it's just limited enough that you do have to establish a style. Yeah. And I, I've said this before, like when I say to you a Game Boy Advance 
game, you immediately have an image in your head of like how it looks, how it sounds. And it's an appealing aesthetic. Obviously, every game goes for their own thing. But like when you look at some of the pixel art for Fire Emblem, like these like impressionist paintings of pixels in the background, it's stunning. And honestly, as much as I love the modern Fire Emblem games, like I do miss that. I do think that it's more impressive to have that style than like just sort of, you know, basic 3D. Yeah. And after listening to your Game Boy Advance episode and thinking about the Game Boy Advance, I have been sort of like climbing through the Game Boy Color library on my analog. And it's it's kind of strange. It's a weird library. It's like, it's pretty small. It and, you know, aside from like... Pokemon Gold and Silver and, and Crystal, like there aren't, uh, I mean, you mentioned Wario Land. Another one is that uh, Metal Gear Solid game for Game Boy Color, which is said to oh, be- Oh, really? Like, yeah. It's, it's said <laughs> to be like really, really good. That's awesome. But other than that, like I was kind of surprised that it's such a limited library. I guess maybe it was kind of short-lived because the Game Boy Advance would- you know, follow up kind of. Yeah, it was, it was a brief window. I remember it was like, it must have been the late, let me look it up actually. Let's see. Yeah, so it looks like the Game Boy Color was released in North America in 1998, which makes sense. Because I remember my first Game Boy was the Game Boy Pocket. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, like, pretty much immediately after, I was like, I want the Game Boy Color now. I want more things <laughs> as a child. But yeah, then uh, the Game Boy Advance came out, like, 2001. So it was yeah. just a few years. I'm actually kind of sad because as much as I love Game Boy Advance, I mean, selfishly, like I'm looking for full screen games to play on my analog pocket, but also it seemed like they were experimenting with a lot of interesting stuff. I I checked out the Resident Evil Gaiden game and, and, uh, and also that Metal Gear Solid game I mentioned, there's a bunch of like strange little like experiments on this thing. Yeah. And I, I kind of wish it was uh, had a bigger library because I would love to see. It's definitely not as, you know, powerful as the Game Boy Advance, but the art style is very distinct. So you might like there's a there's a game making engine, I suppose, called Game Boy Studio. Oh, yeah. That essentially allows one to make games like with the limitation of the Game Boy. And you can actually you can put them on itch and then you can theoretically like play them on the Game Boy. I've been actually playing through a a bunch of these like homebrew games on the analog pocket because the analog pocket has gb studio built into it which is really that's cool. awesome yeah that's so cool yeah and i mean you guys could do a whole episode on all the really interesting homebrew games that are on there i'd love to i'd really love to i mean that's something that like i think also i actually am getting my steam deck tomorrow it's in the oh, mail nice if there's one point of feedback we've gotten here on the aether uh over and over again <laughs> is that we have this giant blind spot of pc gaming yeah. and honestly a lot of like really like really indie stuff is usually PC only from mm-hmm. what I've seen. Like, and that makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's hard to optimize for, for more than one thing and sure. for Mac and, you know, so not that like a steam deck is necessarily one-to-one with like a PC setup, but I will have access to a lot more stuff and I'm really excited to give that a shot. I can't wait to listen to you to all the games you're going to discover. Another thing you might be excited about um, the, the people who made, Shovel Knight at Yacht Club Games have a game in development called Mina the Hollower that is like specifically I'll send you the I'll send you the announcement trailer Mm. on Skype. (laughs) Yeah, we use Skype. So what? Uh, It's called Mina the Hollower and it looks a lot like a Game Boy Color game specifically, whereas like Shovel Knight sort of had this 
very NES kind of SNES, but more NES look yeah. to it. Um, Mean of the Hollower oh, looks a lot like a Game Boy Color game, and it it seems to have a lot of like Oracle uh, of Seasons and Ages DNA, as well as a little Castlevania. Thank you of a whip. It looks awesome. I'm I'm very excited for this game. Wow, this looks yeah, this looks great. A Shovel Knight's like freezing take for you in 2022. <laughs> Shovel Knight's really good if you haven't played it. So I'm excited for their follow up here. Damn, I'm definitely going to try Mino the Hollower. I wish yeah. I could play it. I, that's the thing with my analog pocket. I wish I could play everything on it because it's just the screen is so nice. It's it's like such a joy. That's something I've learned. I'm not really, as you might have guessed, like I feel like I'm pretty easy to please with like quality of display. Like it took until Elden Ring for me to be like, I need a new TV. I had this like <laughs> awful 2015 used plasma screen tv and i remember i like there were so many modern like ps5 ps4 games that you know when you're setting up the display like they're like oh adjust this until this icon is barely visible and i could just never even see the icon <laughs> like my tv this wasn't functioning the way they expected it to so i finally got like a really nice uh 4k hdr tv and it's honestly changed my life <laughs> i've actually gone back and played a couple older games like i revisited uncharted 4 recently and i'm like oh my god this looks so much better <laughs> and that's a game from you know six years ago well if I can just quickly uh, explain, uh, I'm also not like, I'm not a person who goes around seeking out like the highest fidelity, like uh, media experiences. I hear Adam laughing in the distance, well, by is, the way, <laughs> at, at both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my co-host at Eye of the Duck, Adam Volrich, uh, he is 100% a person who, who seeks like the highest quality in his in his media, which I respect. And I get it. Yeah. We, we watched Wrath the Khan together in his apartment and like... Like it was a religious experience. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it was great. I yeah. mean, it's always a different experience when you watch something like as close to, you know, perfect or as close to the way the director originally intended it to look, I think, et cetera, et cetera. We could talk all about like physical media and everything, but Adam said something and it like, it like incepted me. Like he like dropped this seed in my brain and now like, <laughs> so he said, he hated playing on his uh, on his Switch, which I, I mean, I don't agree, but he, he hated playing on his Switch because he would look at his phone all day and then go over to his Switch and it would like look blurry because the quality of the Switch is it's still, I don't think it's even 1080p, which is kind of bizarre. It is but, docked, uh, but handheld, it's I think 720. Yeah. yeah, which, so I mean, I can understand where he's coming from. But sure. like he's also Adam and he's looking for the best, which I, which is a very Adam yeah. thing. We love you, Adam. But so we but, do. Yes. So I'm okay playing my Switch, but most of the time when I pick up a device that is not even like like HD, you know, it's still like 480p or whatever that you know, it's not 720p or, or higher. I hear Adam in my vo in my head saying like, how could you look at your phone all day and then look at this? It looks blurry. And it has ruined my experience with these little, yeah. and a lot of these retro handhelds that I'm hearing about, and people could tell me different things about pixel density and stuff, but a lot of them, their screens just look like a little fuzzy compared to like an iPhone screen. So that is for like a snobby person, you know, looking for the best quality media the analog pocket is like a dream because it it is like upscaling these games that were made, you know, 20, 30 years ago or whatever into like incredibly crisp, high definition, like pixel art, 
which yeah, it's just a joy. I mean, it, it, it really is like, it is a different experience. I think totally. I've had a similar experience. Uh, Brendan was kind enough to get me the Mio mini. Oh, nice. It's this handhold that like they prioritize making the screen as big as possible. So if you look at it and if you like see someone holding it, it looks really small, mm-hmm. but it actually is really comfortable to use. And honestly, like I love playing old systems, but my, my line in the sand is like, I need a backlit screen. Yeah, I've heard that's, you say that. that's my thing. Like the, the most like, poor screen quality I have is I got a Game Boy Advance SP, which is a backlit screen. It was the first uh, Game Boy to have a backlit screen, but it's like a little dim. It looks a little bit like you're using like a Tiger Electronics like <laughs> game where it's like you can kind of see the shadow of the screen on the display almost. I have I have Adam's Seed of Doubt in my head when I play the 3DS. <laughs> seed of Doubt. It, yeah, the, the 3DS definitely doesn't look great as much as i love that system and as much as we talk about it all the time it is it is noticeable when you look at a text and then look at your 3ds and you're like oh what I am i doing <laughs> um adam has so ruined it for us all <laughs> he's yeah adam is a shill for like sony screens or something <laughs> uh he's trying to doom the 3ds let me um, just tell you just for your listeners the miu mini i've seen that screen looks really nice it's 640 by 480 the GBA screen in terms of pixel like resolution. Original Game Boy Advance 240 by 160. The 3DS 800 by 240. So those are all of those. Now the analog pocket, the resolution of this screen is 1600 by 1440. Oh wow, yeah. So it's it's really nice. Like compared yeah. to the original Game Boy Advance, it's like which is 240 by 160. And this resolution is 1600 by 1440. So it just looks so fucking nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, people playing on like Samsung Galaxy phones or like really nice Android phones or your iPhone, like that's what it looks like. It's, you know, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the pixel density. Yeah. I think we're a little bit spoiled by like our iPhones being one of the best displays yeah. possible, you know? I know. Yeah. So. That's, I mean, I would love, I, I've been trying to get analog stuff for a long time. And if I had one critique against them, it's that I imagine it's pretty hard to have like the required stock when it's yeah. so popular, but things do like sell out so I quickly. Know. It's like really impossible to get one. Like I have, I had it bookmarked and like reloaded it as much as I could and yeah. I still didn't get one. So it's more, I'm just bitter. I don't have one, which is not really a critique. No, it's hard to get one. Yeah. It's not fair, um, but Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's really cool that you're experiencing that. I, I also, I've been playing uh, Link's Awakening DX on my Miu Mini. Oh, nice. Because I, my first time playing Link's Awakening was actually the Switch remake, which I really like. It's really cute. It's really a great way to experience that game if you didn't play it on the Game Boy. I hadn't played it on the Game Boy. Honestly, it took me a long time to get into Top Down Zelda because my first one was Ocarina. Oh, so yeah. as a really little kid, I'm always like, what is this like archaic yeah. bullshit? You know, <laughs> uh, of course it has its own place, but, but then you play uh, Link to and, the past and it's like, I want all of my Zelda to be exactly like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really, I have a lot of reverence for, for Link's Awakening now too, because it is like, it's kind of similar where like Link to the past and Ocarina of time were both the foundational games to be like, here's how to do 2D Zelda. Here's how to do 3D Zelda. Have fun with it. Yeah. And then Link's Awakening and Majora's Mask are truly both like surreal takes on the established formula. Whereas Link's Awakening is all about dreams and, and, you know, it has the kind of silliness and lightness of a dream and Majora's Mask is actually a nightmare. (laughs) I learned recently that they only had a year to make Majora's Mask. 
Nintendo oh. was like, we'll give you a year to make a new Zelda game and you can save time by reusing assets from the first game, which I, I can't help but think informed the whole time loop process. And yeah. like, the, like the world ends in three days. You've got to keep redoing it. It's really, really kind of haunting. I learned that from... Um, I've talked about Game Maker's Toolkit a lot on the show, but he has a whole series called Boss Keys where he plays the dungeons of every Zelda game and gives oh. his like critical take on the dungeon design. Oh, wow. I got to I gotta watch that. It's it's a great watch. And uh, I learned that about the development from the Majora's Mask one. His take on the dungeons is, is interesting because he really loves like the dungeons. He loves the water temple, which is maybe his hottest take. And like, <laughs> I usually just stop playing at the water yeah, temple. So <laughs> I think I think that goes back to, you know, us talking about the influence of Zelda and like, what is it that you take away from it? Like, what is yeah. the piece of Zelda that you love even within the modern entries like of just zelda like you can look at majora's mask and wind waker and breath of the wild as like three radically different paths to take yeah. after ocarina and i think it's really fascinating can are, are we in zelda land now can i can i talk a little bit more about zelda yeah why don't we take a small break here it has been 40 minutes okay, so let's cool. take a break here and then we'll come back and talk more about hyrule yes you rule you, oh my god thank you you rule i love at the end of ocarina of time when link turns to the camera and goes you rule you know <laughs> it's a really really cool and confident ending all right see you soon zan okay bye cool i'll take us back in when i introduced myself in the opening i didn't get to say usurper king zant or <laughs> king that rules the twilight oh king of twilight king of darkness king of shadows I think I like Usurper King the best. Yeah, that's pretty good. Also, um, it's it's a pretty heavily, who knows if it's real or not, but there's a big rumor that in the next Direct, they're going to confirm the Switch ports of Twilight Princess and Wind Waker, which is exciting. That would be really great for me personally, because I've been wanting to play Wind Waker for so long. Oh, you never played I, it? Not really. I have it on emulators. It's it doesn't feel the same. I have it on. I have a Wii, so I could just play it like all natural. But I I kind of want the <laughs> I, I want the uh, I want that remaster stuff that they did for the Wii U. I no longer yeah. have my Wii U, and I really just I want to play it like handheld on my couch. So yeah, I uh, I'm really I guess we're just in the show now. Uh, so thank you, AJ. <laughs> Sorry. I zanted us in. You zant, yeah, you usurped us. I said, I'll take us in. And then you just like <laughs> slithered into part two of the episode. But uh, um, Wind Waker is, is one of my favorite games like ever and is right up there with Breath of the Wild in terms of like my favorite Zelda. And I think that's because for me, I think honestly, like as much as I love the, the dungeons and the combat and the excitement of Zelda, like I, I really am there for the atmosphere and for like... Yeah the sense of adventure. And I think honestly on a, on a narrative level, Wind Waker is one of the more interesting ones because I, I think the Zelda timeline you can take with a huge grain of sure, salt. Sure, sure, like sure. I think it's funny that Nintendo was like, this is the right one. Like they made right. it even weirder because there was a fan I know, one. They put that third branch, right? Yeah. <laughs> the first one that was going around was like, it was pretty cool. The first one. Yeah. It was a split like Ocarina. It was okay. This is the timeline where it was child link and this is adult link. And you know, continued on nintendo was like there's yes. actually a third timeline which is where it's a parallel reality where link lost to ganon in ocarina of time and that's what leads to the very first zelda the and it's like there is no way on earth that they made zelda one 
with thinking all of that, that in like mind. yeah in 20 years we're gonna have a, a battle with ganon and then if he loses <laughs> this is that it's like, that's not a thing but i do think like like majora's mask is a direct follow-up to ocarina and wind waker and twilight princess definitely like are looking back in a way that's like in the text of the game like I in wind that. waker the whole idea is like you're just a kid on this island and your grandma's like it's the day where you have to dress up as the hero and he's like ew i don't want to like i don't want to wear this like i'm not this guy <laughs> and that's kind of the whole thesis of the game is like every i've said this many times but like link zelda and ganon are all kind of questioning their role in fate like if there always has to be a zelda and a link and a ganon like is there a way where we can like push against that and like yes. fight for a future that isn't so cyclically doomed it's really it's a really powerful story it really um I, I love when fiction kind of turns inward a little bit like that not in a super meta yeah. way but in like okay this is like how many of these are we going to do before we start like actually interrogating like the myth of this yes. place can i can i drop a hot take for for you and your listeners we want a hot take yes <laughs> I think from the very earliest days of our friendship, we've been talking about the idea of a Zelda movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's just something yeah. recurring through our, through our, our friendship. And so many years I've been thinking about this and sort of like fearing, like dreading if they actually try to do it because I'm not convinced. Yeah, and Chris Pratt is Link. Yeah. yeah. God. And I have concluded now that Ocarina of Time would, is not the right choice for a zelda story as a movie i think interesting okay mechanically like as a video game it's incredibly fun like the tr the time travel mechanics and everything really cool i think story-wise it's and, and i host a film podcast so i can say this <laughs> story-wise it would be very hard to translate into like a functional screenplay it's kind of like a bedtime story it's it has that yeah. sort of classic adventure uh, I mean, to it yeah. The really, really hard part is that Link as a protagonist is silent and also like his actions are so much like kind of in reaction to, to Zelda and to Ganondorf. And it, it, it's, it's never really clear like of his agency. And um, I think Wind Waker would be a really lovely take on a Zelda movie because Link has like such character. It's really like a, a coming of age story. Absolutely. I, I think you're totally right. One, I would love to see it like animated in that style. Like that would be yeah, a dream, that like, too. To have that, yeah, that style yes. of, of presentation. But I think like that, that's something that everyone says about Wind Waker is like, while Link is a silent protagonist, like, you know who he is. You see yeah. in his face what he's feeling and it's it's one of the more expressive links in, yeah. in the Zelda history yeah like you can imagine him having dialogue I think in Ocarina right. of Time it would be really hard to like I'm for years I've wondered like well who would play him what would they sound like what would he yeah. say Wind Waker I think it's pretty <laughs> clear but the real hot take I want to drop on all of you guys is more so than Wind Waker I think Majora's Mask is actually the starting point of a Zelda movie franchise because I think the key to all of it working is actually Skull Kid. Because mm, right, like, he's the protagonist in some ways. Well, yeah. He is such a fascinating like character. Like he yeah. there there he could be like a very, very compelling, like um uh tragic, like tragically flawed and like tortured main character of a Zelda movie where Link could be portrayed as this like hero of myth, like sort of like so you as as the viewer can all i mean because when you play zelda games like we see link as like this you know hero of myth 
But if he's the main character in a film, I feel like it's hard to like make a hero of myth, like a character. So I think yeah. like having this skull kid conflict and then having link as, you know, like a, uh, you know, sort of like a Lord of the Rings, like almost like a Gandalf sort of like, you know, beyond our, our fantasies of who he could be. I think that would be a really compelling way to tell a Zelda story. It's yeah. so, I mean, it's so distinct and so strange. And um, I don't know that you'd be able to start a franchise with Majora's Mask, but I think you really need Skull Kid. I think it's interesting that I think for any Zelda story that currently exists to be adapted into a film, it needs to not be about Link in some ways. Because <laughs> the, the other of, thought right? I had How was like, How would you do it? I mean, I think the other really compelling story for me is Zelda's story in Breath of the Wild, where like when yeah, you get all those yeah. flashbacks, like that story, like Link is more of a force than a character. You know, Link is, yes. is sort of like the corrective action of breath of the wild and when you watch all the memories and even the ending of the game it really is zelda's story it's about her. yeah i don't know that i fully like i don't know that i explained it I, I articulated it correctly but maybe you could imagine like in mad max fury road how like as you're saying like mad max in that movie is kind of like uh, a force like yeah like we know who he is he's you know quote unquote the main character but like he is is sort of like a Sort sort of force of nature that is is helping these women like you know escape all of uh, this this like abusive oppressive emperor, and I think that's the way that you'd have to think about Link in a movie, unless you're gonna do like a Wind Waker sort of thing where it's a coming of age story about him as a young boy and he has yeah. a voice. I'm not surprised you chose Majora's Mask, though, because I've often thought about that as David Lynch's Zelda, and I know yeah, where, where your heart lies. <laughs> you bring up a really interesting point about just protagonists in general, like even separate from like adapting Zelda, because I think about something like Sherlock Holmes, maybe a bit of a jump, but when you read those books, they're all narrated by Watson. You know, Sherlock yeah. is this kind of celebrity in Watson's eyes who like, even though like he, it's about him, Watson is actually like the person that tells the story. And I think for honestly, like just taking a step back, like I think adapting Zelda would be really challenging and, and maybe yes. not worth it. But I think if you were to sit <laughs> down and say like, which one actually would work as a movie, uh, I think you're onto something with like, okay, if it is about Link, it's Wind Waker. And if it's not yeah. about Link, it's Majora's Mask. Because I think you're right that Skull Kid has a very, um, it reminds me a lot of Akira, which I bring up yeah. a lot on the show. But like, I think there's something really sad about the sort of Tetsuo character who is never redeemed, but you have this lost soul that is sort of like cast away who ends up getting godlike powers. I always think of it as the anti Peter Parker where it's like, yes. you know, Peter Parker is this, is this relatable nerd that gets these powers that uses them for good, but it's like so much scarier and sadly more realistic where if you took this lost teenager and gave him powers, he would probably lose his soul a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think it would corrupt him. And it works on both sides because then, as you said, you have this teenage, this, this kid who like is is corrupted with all his power and then you have young link who is sort of the flip side of like he also has like incredible like unspeakable amount of power with all of his weapons and yeah everything, right but he just happens right. to be doing good i just think it would make for such a more complex and compelling take on the franchise and you've articulated 
why way better than I could. <laughs> uh, no, but I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's a fun conversation, especially, I mean, it's not unlikely given we have a fucking Mario movie, which is like impossible to adapt to a thing. And let, honestly, if I were to say like, and I know it's very easy on a podcast to be like what yeah. I would do, but <laughs> right, right, right. I think if you're actually making a Mario movie and you know, who knows how it'll be, I'm sure it'll be fine. Whatever. I, I truly like in the nicest way possible. I don't care. Like it's not for me <laughs> as much as it's I'm a big real. Mario fan. And like, yeah, it's not going to come out. And to me, it's never going to happen. It's all, if you, it's all just fake. if you actually wanted to tell a story in the Mario world, I would love an adaptation of the Paper Mario games or the Mario and Luigi games. Yeah, where like, there you go. Those are really fun and clever takes, like adding a story to a world that has no plot. Like there's no like. So what I worry about with the Mario movie is I think it's going to be a lot of like, I guarantee I bet my life that there's going to be a scene in the Mario movie where a like Goomba goes like, ow. Oh, quit jumping on my head and then mario like <laughs> looks at the camera and winks or something you know it's like it's yeah. gonna be like that and that's that's fine again it's not like i don't think they're really interested in telling a story at all um, i mean talk about like a but, hard yeah. story to tell like mario yeah, like, is wh- even way harder than than link like <laughs> yeah yeah at least at least <laughs> zelda has the framework of a narrative mario yeah. is about jumping it's essentially like give a story to a vacuum cleaner it's like this is a, a, this is an entire thing that's based around one action it doesn't need a movie it truly is like the emoji movie. If if you had to compare it to another thing, yes. that's like probably the most apt comparison. We should probably mention your listeners are probably like screaming at their their phones right now that there is a Majora's Mask short film, that thing called Dark Fate, right? Oh yeah, it was um the the people who made Kenna, uh, Bridge of Spirits, yeah. they they made this really beautiful short about Majora's Mask. That honestly, like. I think gives a lot of a support to your idea that that's the one to adapt. Also, just even as like a tone it's about piece. Skull Kid. Yeah, I think yeah, even yeah. just about like the atmosphere of that game. I think that would work really well as a film because it's just so creepy and unique. Um, yeah, I totally so, agree. Yeah. Anyway, I know you had a little bit more to talk about with Zelda that was game related. Not that I didn't enjoy <laughs> that sec. No, 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 it was fun. But you've been playing some stuff that's like not officially Zelda, but Zelda related. So I'd love to hear about that. Well, okay. So in a way it is official, but I guess not canon. I'm not sure. So <laughs> I know you have some non-canon games to talk about today. <laughs> I'm going to go outside the canon for a little bit here. Yeah. So I've never played The Legend of Zelda. Like, of, of course I've played it, the but I've never one. finished it. Yeah, I've, I've never, like, given it, like, a full, like, playthrough. Have you? I actually hadn't played it until recently. I, I played it mm. on the Switch NES library. Oh, cool. I would recommend, I think if you're a big Zelda fan, it's definitely worth playing for a little bit. Because I think it is pretty amazing. A lot of NES games, by today's standards, feel like really cool ideas. Yeah. Like, I feel like all those ideas crystallized on the Super Nintendo. Like, if you play the first Metroid, like, for the time, it was... Because I think the games that came out before NES were, like, very abstract. Like, Pac-Man was sort of the most, (laughs) I think, visually clear thing. Usually it was, like whatever you're playing as is like a symbol that is representative of an, of an idea you wouldn't yeah. know unless you read the instructions. So like <laughs> the fact that the NES was providing like you are a, a bounty hunter in space in this like cold and creepy, yeah. creepy atmosphere. That was really exciting. And that's why they continue the series, but you don't really get that today. You're just sort of like, where do I go? What do I do? Right. Except for punch out, baby punch out's punch great. Out. And, and super out. Mario brothers so, honestly still yeah. plays really well. Uh, but the first Zelda, I think it does play well. It is fun, but it, it, it is often more frustrating than not. It, it's interesting, though, because I think 
you know, a lot of the intention behind Breath of the Wild was going back to that idea of like, yeah, this I is a series that. that that was founded on the idea of exploring and yeah. of just figuring stuff out. And to its credit, like it does do that pretty well, but there's just a lot of esoteric stuff like the infamous bombing walls that aren't marked or like right. you, you can go like the dungeons are not really like the set pieces we know today established by link to the past they're just sort of like rooms you can explore which is kind of fun in one sense because like it does add to this feeling of this like unknowable world which honestly yeah i think we see a lot in elden ring so like there are ideas here yeah, that's true that have yeah. weirdly influenced way more mo- it was very ahead of its time in that way but the execution wasn't really there so like you would go into a dungeon and like just not have enough keys to fully see it so you would have to remember to maybe go back there later and it really was it was a little bit of trial and error but i do think like if you are a big zelda fan it is worth playing it and it is fun but it is like by today's standards and by what we know of zelda today like zelda one and and especially zelda two are kind of rough to enjoy today i would say yeah i i mean i am running out of zelda games and it's a very tragic thing like (laughs) at this point i mean uh well i mentioned i haven't played through wind waker but i'm i after playing the oracle games I'm really, really into just like the joy of top-down Zelda and I'm running yeah. out of them because I've, I've played them all at this point and now I'm looking farther back. And, uh, for one, I'd like to say like, I have been dying for an ITA episode on Zelda too. Cause I feel like you guys would, <laughs> would do so much. It's just such an interesting, weird little game. I, uh, I'll admit I, I checked it out for a bit and kind of immediately bounced, but I'm definitely down really? to play more of it because it is so weird. And, and again, so bizarre. a lot of that game is in Shovel Knight. Like Shovel Knight takes a lot of those ideas and like mm-hmm. implements them well. I mean, the, the side scrolling nature of it, but also like going to a village and having the townspeople just say stuff that's supposed to help you. Like that's <laughs> totally incomprehensible in Zelda two, but it really is a cool thing <laughs> in Shovel Knight. So like, I would love to give that game more time i don't know if i'll come out saying like i like this but i'm sure there's a lot to admire just like conceptually and creatively well so i landed on the legend of zelda because i feel like i'm a zelda fan like how have i not played through this game it it can't take that long and i should feel like i want to get far enough into it that i feel like i have an understanding of it but as you said like playing it on the nes just the quality of life kind of you know experience of it is not super, you know, like it's not like the best, like it's not the most enjoyable experience to me. Maybe for people who grew up playing it, that's different, but I did. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Our foundation was Ocarina. So it's kind of hard to yeah, go back right, to, right. to yeah. the NES. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to go back to like Link to the Past. That game no, feels no. as modern as ever, but this totally. one is, you know, the very first one, but, uh, your so swords started, are like, a projectile. You like throw yeah. swords, which is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I started kind of uh, just poking around and seeing like, well, you know, Nintendo has remastered like every Mario game like six times. There's got to be someone who has remastered the first Zelda. You know, I'm surprised that Nintendo hasn't officially done it. But so and I found that they did kind of kind of officially do it. So there's this game called, which I, I don't know if you guys have talked about on the show before. It's called BS Zelda. Um, I don't think we have. No. What is it? So, okay. So it's for, <laughs> I have to like pull up research because it's so confusing. Okay. So there's this thing called the Satella view, right? 
Oh yeah. So this is yes. for those who don't know. This you got me really excited when you said Satella yeah. View is like my internal <laughs> Hey Siri. I just like activate. <laughs> yes, please explain. That was a that was a late addition to the Super Nintendo. I think it was it might have only been in Japan, but regardless, it was it was an add-on accessory that essentially connected to a satellite and for a subscription fee, talk about ahead of the time, maybe in a bad way. For a subscription, you got access to Satellaview games that you like played through the satellite. Um and there was a really wild collection of games, one of which was Radical Dreamers, um, which was the text adventure sort of sequel to Chrono Trigger before Chrono Cross. Um, and that hadn't officially been released since until recently in uh, the Radical Dreamers edition of Chrono Cross, which came out for a bunch of platforms. It includes Radical Dreamers, which is honestly, it's super fun to play. I've never played a text adventure before. I eventually lost with no way to redo what I could do because it's a Satellaview text adventure game, but it was a really cool experience. I was kind of amazed at how how immersive it was, given that like you know that era of game was so before even our childhood that like I wasn't sure if I could resonate with it or that it would resonate with me. But really, especially if you're a big fan of Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger, I would check that game out. Anyway, that's the Satellaview. Please go yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, so so BS stands. I mean, thank you for explaining because I'm still sort of, I still feel so confused by this this device. I might be missing a few details, but from what I know, it was the it was this Super Nintendo satellite subscription service. Yeah, they collaborated <laughs> with this company called uh, Saint Giga G I G A. I only know that because the letters G I G A like appear in this game. So BS stands for broadcast satellite. So they collaborated on this thing for three different uh, Zelda titles. So uh, the one that I am, I mean, and all of them are for the SNES. So they're taking advantage of the 16 bit like capabilities. So the first one, which is just known as BS Zelda, it is basically a full remaster of the legend of Zelda made in like a 16 bit style. So it's not quite, yeah. Yeah. And it's not quite the, uh, it's not quite the art style of link to the past. And the main character is not link. It's this, (laughs) it's this broad, it's this St. Giga, I think, uh, mascot, which is you play as either a boy or a girl. And, uh, the boy has a backwards baseball cap. But oh he, he has all of the uh, all of Link's powers. Anyway, <laughs> it kind of looks like the uh, Mario All Stars like remaster of Mario, but it's Zelda. Um, I, I feel like that's a pretty apt comparison. So mm-hmm. yeah, so this first one, <laughs> so you would play it as you're explaining in like episodes, and they were timed. So it's this kind of weird like speed runny like Zelda experience where they start you off and they just like, you don't even control link in the beginning or whatever this, this mascot, I mean, you name yourself, <laughs> not, not I, link. Yeah. Right. I named myself dim. Cause I always do that in video games. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Dim is just like sent into the cave in the opening. You see him just walk across the screen and the old man gives you the sword or whatever. Interesting. And it's like, go, like you don't have a lot of time, go. Wow. <laughs> and you're instantly like rushing through this game. What a small but fundamental change. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think like that opening of Zelda 1 is so iconic in, in the same way like Mario 1-1 is where like in Super Mario, you know, you're on the left side of the screen, you see the Goomba, you kind of immediately know like what to do. Uh, via the level design and in Zelda like in that first screen you see the cave entrance and that's where you get the sword but you do have to like go there to get it so I think that design is teaching you this has been said a million times but that design is teaching you that like in order to progress in this game you have to explore you have to follow like whatever your hunch is like whatever is like kind of catching your eye, like go in that direction and you'll find cool stuff. Whereas in this game, it's like, you just have to go. Like you just have to like, we're going to skip that step of wonder and discovery and just tell you like, be as fast as possible with what you might, what you may already know in in a sense. It's a, it's a a way different like experience. Yeah. And I wasn't super stoked by it, to be honest. And so I, I did a little bit more research and so there's this great uh there's this great site called uh zeldalegends.net. It's like an old it's very like you know old internet looking site and <laughs> they have a BS Zelda like section. So people of course have taken these Satellaview games and they have like rom hacked them basically to function like a traditional Zelda game. So there is uh there are like there's different ways you can do it. So you could like you could play BS Zelda as dim, like as your, your baseball cap kid, (laughs) um, without a timer. So then you just like get that experience, which I think is, is a little bit better. Like the timer is a cool experiment, but, uh, yeah, it's cool to just be able to explore. There is a thing called, uh, legend of Zelda third quest. It's kind of there, you know, to them, it's like, you know, legend of Zelda, legend of Zelda two, and then third quest. Like, so it, it, is the original Zelda style. They replace all the characters in, in the um, the world and, and Link uh, with like the traditional Zelda stuff. So it's not dim anymore. And <laughs> it's like a, it's a pretty comprehensive remaster. And that I was really like enjoying because then you get like that Mario All-Stars experience, but yeah. for, for Zelda, which I think is really fun. And then I went one step further with... Uh, there's this other thing called uh, just Zelda Remastered, which I would really recommend listeners who are into this kind of thing to check out. It's uh, it's available on like romhacking.net, you know, these sites that offer this kind of thing. Um, it's just called The Legend of Z- Zelda Remastered. And, you know, a team of people using uh, another ROM hack called Zelda Redux, which is sort of like a quality of life like uh like hack that just, you know, makes the game a little bit more enjoyable to play with like some more modern, you know, just fixing some of the old stuff. They took that and then they did a full uh, HD remaster, which you can even play in widescreen. So now like it almost, the sprites almost look like the uh, cadence of Hyrule kind of. uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Here, I'll send you this link. You could take a look. And that is a, this is a super enjoyable way to play the legend of Zelda. I think even more so than the Satella view thing, because they really just went in and made it kind of look like a modern day, like a Zelda game top down. And, uh, 
I would say if you're looking for an updated experience with The Legend of Zelda, this one is the one to go for. That's really cool. I mean, I'm glad that in this case, you know, the original is pretty easy to come by and it's on the Switch if you have a Nintendo yeah, online. So, yeah. like, I definitely think while it's cool that there's all these updates, it, I do think it's important to have access to, like, the original work. I agree. And to see. Yeah. And, and obviously you're not saying it isn't. Um, But... That is fascinating. I didn't know. I mean, there's a whole I know vaguely of a whole world of like Zelda and Link to the Past randomizers. Like people will like have ROM hacks with that where it's yeah. like it will generate different dungeons each time or something like that. I know very little of that world, but it is kind of fascinating. And again, going back to like what is it about Zelda that that you connect with? And I think honestly, for all its flaws, the original Zelda did plant all these seeds of yeah. intrigue. You know, yeah. it still influences games today. I think in some ways a game can be more influential by its mistakes than not. If you if we look at true. a game like and it's a lot of the NES sequels, you know, Castlevania 2, uh, Mario 2, Zelda 2, they all are like pretty bad games that just try <laughs> try really big ideas that I think even if you didn't enjoy the experience, you're like, that was a really interesting idea though. What if we tried that again, but in this way, you know, I think it's really fascinating to see. And I think like, again, when, when I played Elden Ring, you know, I think a lot of people compared the experience to Simon's quest and to uh, a game called dragon's dogma, which is a Mm -hmm. great game, but is also kind of weird and obscure and like was doing a million different things and maybe not all of them well, but it's like, (laughs) I think that those types of games are important and it's cool to see like, I mean, Zelda is one of the most like sure thing, wildly successful franchises now, but it started at a really creative and risky place, you know, and like, totally, I think that's really interesting to, uh, to reexamine. And like, I, you know, on the flip side of like, yes, of course you should experience stuff in the original way. I don't like, it's hard for me to get into the original Zelda because of the things I mentioned. And this to me kind of looks like a, like a Pokemon, like fire red sort of like update that makes it not to say that I know you guys have a whole separate conversation about that game, but I think if Nintendo isn't going to like look back at these games and just kind of present them to players in a way that's more like enjoyable to, you know, or comfortable to experience. I love that ROM hackers are just like, oh, we'll just do it for you. Like if they're not going to do it, like we'll do it. I think that speaks and, to a lot of game preservation as well. Cause I think that the major force of preserving games is all emulation, like by a long yeah. shot, like Microsoft to be fair, like in the, in the big companies, like Microsoft has probably shown the most interest in preserving their backlog, but that's kind of just by default. Like if you aren't actively against it, you are the best at it in, in this current <laughs> industry. But you know, Microsoft, I mean, there was a point where they were like, okay, we have now released like every possible Xbox and Xbox 360 game. We have like the rights to give you, which yeah. is pretty cool. So if you want to play Banjo Tooie on your Series <laughs> S, you can do it. One day I'll play Banjo Tooie. Yeah, I, I, that's been on my backlog for forever. I'm not even sure why. I'm like, I feel like that ship has <laughs> sailed like 20 years ago. I, I still have a lot of love for Banjo Kazooie, but I'm like, do I need the the multiplayer focused sequel where the witch <laughs> is a skeleton? I don't know. I don't know if I need. This. I didn't even know it was multiplayer. Uh, it's not multiplayer focused, but there is. I remember there was like a, a trivia show multiplayer mode. <laughs> oh my yeah, god! Amazing. I've I've a distinct memory of that. You're like, yeah. Uh, that game, that game rolls. <laughs> anyway, why don't, uh, unless you have more to say about Zelda BS, why don't we take a break here 
come sure. back and shifts gears towards a different game, a new game, dare I say. Yes. All right. See you soon. We are back. And Dom, I'm sick of the past. I'm sick of talking <laughs> about the past. I've got a new game for you. I'm very excited to talk about this. I know you're not familiar with the series, so I hope I can sell you on it. Yes, please. But I think... Just with your knowledge of Nintendo, I think that we can have a fun conversation about like their various franchises. So Splatoon 3 is out. It came out uh, this past Friday. It's been out for a couple of days. I have probably played it for at least 40 hours at this point. Oh, damn. Uh, definitely not. I mean, it's only been out <laughs> for two days, but I've been playing it a lot uh, and I really love it. So just to tell you, because I know, do you know anything about Splatoon? Are you, you coming know. in like fresh? I have some knowledge about it. I've never played any of it, though, any of the games. Yeah, so I think Splatoon is at a really interesting place in Nintendo's, like, series. Because, one, it's one of their newer franchises. Uh, Splatoon 1 came out in 2015 on the Wii U. And then Splatoon 2 was 2017 on the Switch. Which, honestly, I feel like Splatoon 2 was kind of just them being, like, this shouldn't die with the Wii U. Let's bring it to the Switch, <laughs> you know? And I love Splatoon 2. I think I think Splatoon is one of Nintendo's most inventive series because it, it kind of showcases their design philosophy of choosing, like, a single idea or mechanic to build the whole thing around. So in Zelda's case, Miyamoto was inspired by his childhood memories of exploring the Japanese countryside and just sort of that feeling like being a kid in your backyard. That's what Zelda 1 is trying to capture. Cool. And in Splatoon, the, the main mechanic is just spraying ink on stuff in a variety of different tools. And then you can swim in that ink. So hmm. like the very basic mechanic is like cover the environment with with ink or paint. Mm -hmm. And then you can swim in that ink or paint. And that includes like going up walls and like going through like grates or different like weird tubes it's a very hmm. really interesting and really fun mechanic and then the whole game is kind of built around that so with that mechanic this is a team-based shooter um so all the weapons are like water guns or uh stuff like that but they also have a lot of fun with it so like a lot of the main uh melee weapons are like big paint brushes or paint rollers oh, cool. and you can kind of see like okay like this is like the shotgun equivalent, this is like the shotgun equivalent would be like a big bucket just full of paint that you throw on an enemy. What's the goal? Like what's the, the like how do you win? Yeah. So in a normal match, which is a standard uh a standard match is called a turf war. Mm -hmm. It's essentially what team has covered more of the level with their color. So okay. you can also paint over an enemy's color. And if you're in an enemy's paint, it will like slow you down and like make you really vulnerable to attack. Oh. So it's a really brilliant touch because while it's a very competitive team shooter, it also doesn't require you to necessarily fully engage in like the combat side of it. So like there are some weapons that are kind of tailor made for like uh, they call it splatting. So, you know, <laughs> splatting your opponent um, and like taking out people. But then there are like the paint roller, really heavy, powerful melee weapons. So if you're up close or you might recognize this from Smash Brothers where Inkling had that like, yeah, uh, you get stuck in the paint similar to that but their main job is that they can just cover a lot of ground in a very short amount of time and matches are only like maybe maybe two and a half minutes so they're really short and a lot can change in a very short amount of time there's a very high skill ceiling in these games and people who are good at it it's like you're watching a whole other game wow but i think the barrier to entry is a little bit more inviting 
because again it's not about like i killed the most guys you can if you play like i do i just sort of am happy just to paint a lot of the level <laughs> and like they've made that central mechanic so fun cool that you can kind of go in like every weapon plays like its own version of the game in some ways. Can you, can you knock people out or like, like KO people? Like, yeah. So when, when like, it's essentially like a shooter, so they just sort of explode. It's it's actually, it's not violent, but it does catch you off guard if you haven't played it before. (laughs) Cause like the whole, and this is, I think the selling point of Splatoon, as much as I love the mechanics, the, the world and the atmosphere is so cool. It Mm. feels like, what every marketing executive wanted you to feel in the nineties when a commercial would be like, Hey kid, do you hate your teacher? Do you like slime? You know, (laughs) it has that like rebellious attitude, but it's like actually cool. Cool. A lot of the stuff you unlock by playing is just different, like streetwear and fashion. And honestly the, the clothes in this game, like, will inspire like possibly real outfits kind of like animal crossing which oh, cool. I, I don't have confirmation of this but it's it's been said that a lot of the developers who work at animal crossing also work on splatoon i would guess they also work on switch sports because all three of those games have a very heavy emphasis on like the appearance of your avatar but in splatoon's case every like possible like shirt or hat or shoes also has little passive perks so like a shirt might let you like recover ink faster because uh, when you're swimming in ink, that's how you reload. So like you can kind of temporarily swim and then pop out and get in a hit. And like, that's where the combat can be really, really like intense and fun. Cause like, you know, timing when you appear and when you show up and where you swim and like, there's just a lot of moving parts that make every match feel really compelling. Cool. And there's also, uh, if you don't want to play PVP, there's a cooperative mode called Salmon Rush, where there's a very sketchy man named Mr. Grizz, who (laughs) is probably a bear, uh, who talks to you through this phone and he wants you to catch salmon eggs for him. Um, And like, that is that is a cooperative PVE mode where like it's you and three people, either friends or or just random people online, uh, fight like waves of enemies in, in this level. And like... I think this game just has really fantastic art direction, like the character design yeah. of your avatar and of the world, and also how the mechanic of ink and swimming in ink has inspired this setting of like underwater creatures. Like everyone is a squid kid or an octoling. Cool. It sounds really charming. It is. It's and then that's that's what drew me to the series initially. It's just like it's such a cool world, and like there is weirdly lore if you want it. You don't really need to engage <laughs> with that part of it, but like the single player does kind of engage a little bit more in that. And I think one thing is like, I do think the single player could be a little deeper. I haven't played a lot of it, but the the single player in these games has always sort of felt like a tutorial for the multiplayer. Mm -hmm. And I think that this mechanic is so rich. You could have like a whole platformer or puzzle game about these mechanics. Um, And they kind of did that. There was a big piece of DLC for Splatoon 2 called the Octo Expansion, which gave you like really challenging, hard, bite-sized levels that were designed around using a weapon a certain way. And it seems to have informed, like that that DLC has informed Splatoon 3 single player. Oh, sorry. There's like a campaign mode? Yeah. So it's essentially like, as as far as I am into it... it's about things being fuzzy. So you have to like, <laughs> just like, I don't know. It's very strange. Um, but basically like there's kind of like a Mario 64, there's like a hub world where you can choose which level you want to go to. Okay. And then once you beat that level, you get access to like more levels. So 
the levels have a nice variety of like some are just like here's how to play the game some are like I, I enjoy the ones that are more puzzle centric mm-hmm. for whatever reason, because that's something that I just don't experience at all in the multiplayer. And I think that's like a cool thing to have in yeah. single player. Um, like being like, okay, how do I actually navigate this environment? Where do I have to jump? What do I have to cover in ink? And uh, it, it's really great. So I, I think this game's incredible. I think Splatoon going back to like Nintendo franchise is like, it's in this interesting place where like on, on the top of like what's selling the best. And I don't know if Nintendo is like purely sales based and what they prioritize, but I can't imagine it's not heavily focused on that being a giant corporation. Yeah, sure. But like you have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and Animal Crossing New Horizons selling wildly well. Yeah. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I think is the seventh best selling game of all time. Wow. Uh, it is sold, I think close to 50 million units. Just, wild great game like it it definitely deserves it but it's like that level of success you don't normally see yeah and i I don't really know if nintendo has like a metric because the thing is like we're talking about game board color when you look at their history there are so many series that they've just started and then completely scrapped yeah and it's kind of sad because like well i do think they they have this public ideology of like if there's not a creative idea for the sequel we're not going to make it so like there's not something to experiment with we won't do it i think that is commendable but i also think it's like maybe not entirely true if something is selling well like they're not just going to yeah. not make a new animal crossing or whatever right um and there've been a lot of series that like i think were tragically short-lived just because they might not have got like imagine if zelda won to stop there and they didn't get a chance to experiment so i think it's a big conversation i i think that it is on one hand i do like this idea of like not just defaulting to a sequel Mm because i think we see that a lot in movies where like at a certain point we just get sick of it because they just milk it until we hate it right but at the same time like I do think sometimes with games, it is nice to have iterations that like improve upon what came before. With Splatoon, we're now at the third one. And if you, I've read a few reviews and, and I, and I do agree with this. The, the general consensus of Splatoon 3 is like, this is the best version of Splatoon that you could play, but it's also pretty similar to one and two. Like the series huh. hasn't really changed much at all, which I understand. And I understand why that 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 would maybe um, lessen your enthusiasm for the game. But honestly, like this isn't a Madden or a FIFA game that comes out every year and doesn't change. Like there's been enough time in between these games where like, even though they haven't completely reinvented it, like the fact that all the reviews say this is the best version of Splatoon. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what we're getting. Right. We have the best version of this really cool series that is kind of like in my head, the captain of Nintendo's B team where it's like (laughs) these sell really well, but they're, they're not on the same level as like Mario or Zelda, but they're definitely selling way more than like Kirby or games that are, are maybe more on the edge of B team. Sure. Love Kirby. Kirby. This is not my metric of how much I like them, but it's like, what is selling? Yeah, well, sure. Know? Yeah. It, uh, I mean, there are a ton of N- Nintendo like franchises that I wish we could see more from. Right. Yeah. You and I always talk about that game, uh, wrecking crew, right? Isn't that one of your oh, favorites? Yeah. Like, I want to see a new wrecking crew. Like imagine if there was as many wrecking crews as there are Zelda's now. <laughs> I have a theory that Wrecking Crew was unofficially the first Wario yes. sighting because I think it, his right? name is like, it's not Wario. It's like the foreman or something. There's like a, <laughs> he has a weird name, but there's like a guy who is Mario's boss, who is like <laughs> a recurring actual boss. Um, and he kind of looks like Wario. And I just, I can't but feel like that was the, that was the Wario 
idea floating in the sky. And we, we mentioned punch out earlier too. I mean, they, yeah. they did punch out on the Wii and I fucking love that game. I don't know yeah. how many, how much like legs like punch out has as an idea, but if you just, as you're saying, like make like the best version of a punch out game for the switch, I would play that. That game is great. Yeah. It's also, I think it's like, I, I like the idea of, you know, we're not going to make a sequel unless we, we have a really interesting idea. Sure. You know, I think, I think a classic example is like Super Mario World to Yoshi's Island. We're yeah. like Yoshi's Island, incredible game and is, is fundamentally different yeah. than Super Mario World. But at the same time, like we did get a continuation of the Super Mario World ideas in later games like Super Mario 3D Worlds. So yeah. like, you know, the thing about we're not going to do a sequel unless we have a big new idea is that you can't say that and then not have any game preservation because then you're just scor- <laughs> then you're just scorching things yeah that's you know? true i mean we say this all the time on eye of the duck and especially in our indiana jones series uh like movies like indiana jones or mission impossible or honestly even jurassic park which has been those have been our past few series all of them are like to me it's like you don't have to necessarily like break the mold with every film it's kind of sad to me that there aren't as many Indiana Jones movies as there are Mission Impossible. Cause I feel that Mission Impossible kind of proved that like, yeah, we'll just give you a movie like every two or three years, whatever. And you know, it's going to be kind of a continuation of the story. It's going to be more of the same style and theme. And it's just going to be really, really well crafted, like just really tight, really well crafted filmmaking. And that's fine. That's good enough. I wish there were yeah. like six Indiana Jones films that were just like him doing his thing. I don't want to discredit any reviews that had that take about Splatoon 3 because I get it. Like it's now been around for seven years. It's established itself like as a Nintendo mainstay. Yeah. But I do think like, especially for something that's multiplayer focused, like we're getting Street Fighter 6 next year. <laughs> and there seems to be a lot of big ideas in that game. But like we, we already know how it's yeah. going to play, yeah. you know? There is a huge space for that type of game. I mean, Mario Kart 8 is a, another great example where like when there's a game that is multiplayer focused, that is actually about the actual community yeah. of, the, of the people that play. And that's what I love about Splatoon is like it's got a really dedicated following. Oh, cool. And um, it's it's also cool to see because it's it's a very openly queer community. Oh, And it's not really on Nintendo's end that that's happening, but just like kind of people showing up in the game and, and you can leave messages behind on the wall. So you see like all these really like inclusive messages cool. and like, you know, it, I just, I love seeing that. I, I wish that it was more kind of officially accepted by Nintendo. Like, you know, they had this opportunity to have a very openly queer series and that would be such a cool thing. But at the same time, I'm glad that the community has also just like taken it and run with it. So like, especially for like an online, uh, a game where you're getting matched with like random people. Yeah. um, It's, it's really nice to see. That's like the first impression you get when you play the game, when you show up in, in Copolis. Um, you get plenty of like shit posts as well. I love it. I think it's great. I think Splatoon just deserves way more credit as a series. And I think comparing it to films like Indiana Jones or Mission Impossible <laughs> is weirdly apt because like there, well, there are series that we do want to see. Like, I think, you know, Zelda is one where, where yeah. even though every game after Ocarina was like a very new atmosphere and new story, it was the same game sure. roughly in, in Skeleton. So there was a time where, like, I think when Skyward Sword came out, everyone was like, all right, like, how long are we going to keep doing this? Yeah. Like, you know, and I think Breath of the Wild, you know, new was, idea was, yeah. was needed. But 
for Splatoon, it's like I kind of just want it to be a little better each time. Like I think that there's a place for that. <laughs> yeah, and, that's kind of cool. You know, I'd love to see the series continue to experiment and grow, but I think the fact that every review is like, this is the best version of Splatoon. It's like, yeah, that's a great rule. Like we yeah. got, we, yeah, we got the best version of a great game. So I, I would highly recommend it. If you are someone like, if you are at all drawn to it, whether it's yeah. for the aesthetic or for the community or for the actual mechanics, like it is a game that kind of allows you to meet it where you want it. Like you can just do the single player and kind of mess around with that. You can do the multiplayer, you can do the co-op. And there's also a lot of great additions. Like the, the big thing is that it's way easier to play with friends. It used to be that if you were like in a group, it would randomly make you either on the same team or not. And now you can just like join a group and be on the same team. It should be a no brainer, but it's Nintendo. <laughs> uh, and um, the other thing is that, and this is a small addition uh, but i think it goes a long way is that when you're waiting for a next match you can experiment in this like lobby with oh, all cool. the different weapons so you can kind of like test and actually see like how much damage does this weapon do how far away do i have to be to like use it so if you really want to like like actually like lab the the yeah. different weapons and the different approaches you can do that which is amazing so i think that's like it's cool to also see nintendo embrace the people who are playing more competitively. Like I think Smash Brothers Ultimate was a great example of that where like you could see, like you could have practice modes where they're giving you information that most people would have to like, you know, hack the game to find out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is it is cool to see that as well. So I I I love this game. I think it's definitely one of the year's best, like immediately. Oh, great. Um, and I would recommend checking the series out if you haven't yet. You've you've sold me on Splatoon. I want to be splatted. I think you're going to like the big lobster who sells sneakers. He has a really, he's this huge creature, yeah. but he has a really high voice. It's like, <laughs> and everyone kind of talks like uh, Animal Crossing. It's like, you know, it has that, that aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Does it kind of, it, it sounds to me a little bit like Team Fortress 2. Is it, is it at all like in that kind of feeling or vibe? I have said before that like, the one genre I'm like not that into is FPS. Yeah. And I don't actually know if that's true. I just think it's, it's kind of like fighting games where like, if you're not into it, like it's hard to like get into it, you right. know, like, I, I mean, I, I don't really have any interest in like the call of duty games. I know plenty who enjoy them who aren't engaging in like the horrific side of it. Right. But like, you know, I, I don't really have that love for the genre specifically like online multiplayer shooters i've never really been drawn to like i enjoyed apex legends and passing yeah but i didn't really stick around i i tried to play fortnite it didn't really work for me but the only online shooters that i've really really loved and stuck with were team fortress 2 overwatch and splatoon so yeah. like i wouldn't say they're super similar in terms of of structure mm -hmm. but i do think there's definitely some like a tone shared. or something yeah yeah well i think they're all three of those games are shooters that definitely have a brighter tone i mean team fortress 2 is sort of comically dark with yeah. like bodies exploding yeah but it's definitely not taking itself seriously and overwatch is also kind of a brighter game as well and splatoon just has a very distinct style it reminds me i said this before i feel like splatoon has dreamcast DNA where it has that kind of like jet set radio or um like that early 2000s oh, yeah. style yeah. like gorillas gorillas esque in some ways as well I think it's apt to compare the two but it's more almost in spirit than in execution if that makes sense hmm. I can't wait to you check could it have, out yeah you could have defined roles in terms of what weapons you're playing as so like I think if you if you play the paint roller, it does weirdly put you in kind of a support role where like you probably want to hang back a bit because 
you have a melee weapon. So if you do what I did when I was streaming and just like charge enemies, you're going to get rocked because like they have a projectile <laughs> weapon and you don't. But if you play kind of stealthily, you can sneak up behind them and just splat them, you know, in one hit. But usually what you want to do is kind of trail your team. And then once they knock out an opponent, then to sweep the area. It's like all of a sudden you get like a lot of turf in, oh, one, interesting. in one motion. Because usually the weapons that are more that do more damage from far away are, are more designed for that. So they can't really ink as much terrain as a paint roller can. Huh. So there, there is, it's not like class based in the way or character based in the way that yeah. TF2 and Overwatch is, but they're definitely, I think if you were playing at a higher level, you want to have right. variety in the weapons. Huh. So it's so funny just listening to you describe the gameplay. It sounds so foreign to me. Like what you're saying is like, you can sweep the area <laughs> covering with paint and then you'll get splatted yes. and go through the grade. And like, I like, if I didn't know the game you were talking about, you like, I would have no clue. Like, yeah, it's such a, str- it, it is very much Nintendo at their best. Like, of course this is their interpretation of, of a, a team based shooter yeah, good for is like Nickelodeon <laughs> slime and you know, Honestly, it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so, I mean, you know, there's a place for everything, but I think we see so many like just World War II games yeah. or like, you know, like historical war games or like gray space, uh, right. space marine games. And like yeah. you get sick of it at a certain point. This is such a refreshing take on a genre that is kind of dominated by sort of like a certain look in a certain atmosphere. Yeah. I can't wait to try it. Yeah, I got to pick it up. Is there a, is there a demo or a uh, like a free there trial? There was a it? demo. There God was damn, a demo. I missed it. Maybe watch some gameplay and see yeah. what you think. And it might feel like nonsense when you first start playing. There's also the game begins with with uh, the motion gyro controls on. You can turn them off. I I don't play with them, but a lot of like long time Splatoon players, uh, if you're able to, suggest putting them on. Because it allows for like very minute aiming. And honestly, it's pretty oh, good. It's like one of the few games that has pulled that off. I think wow. it might work better in handhelds. Because yeah, sure. it's like more intuitive. Um, I tried it. The thing is, I play as the paint roller a lot. I'm not really interested in aiming at all. I'm just there <laughs> to, to paint a lot of the floor. So I don't really need motion controls. I'm also like, I, I just, I don't want to have another thing to think about. But I have like, it has, it is maybe the one game where the motion controls are like praised. And thankfully it's an option because for a lot of people that's inaccessible just inherently. So it's cool that it's something you can turn on and off. I was just going to say, if I was sitting behind you, like at a cafe and I heard you saying like, I don't really need motion controls. I'm mainly just uh, the the paint roller man. (laughs) He's like speaking a different language or he's in like a different dimension than me. (laughs) Like what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it, it is a different dimension. It's why it's so appealing. And the music is great. It's got a, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of Tony Hawk in some ways. I mean, in spirit, but also like the fact that levels are two minutes and it's kind of just like, here's like a quick burst of like kinetic joy, oh, cool. you know? Cause it's the kind of game that's like, it's not fun to get rocked, but it's always, it's, it's short enough that if you lose, you're going to want to play again. That's my cool. big thing with like a lot of these types of games. Like if the match is too long, it can be kind of demoralizing if you're right. losing. Like I, uh, if you're losing like so bad for hours. <laughs> I played a lot of League of Legends Wild Rift, which is the mobile version of League of Legends, and that basically turns what would be like a 40 minute to two hour match into like 15 minutes. But even that amount of time, like when you're losing <laughs> in that game, like 
you kind of already lost. Like you have to wait until everyone agrees to surrender and it just makes it a slog. Like <laughs> there are some matches where I'm like, I actually just want to shut the game off, but if I do, I'll be penalized. I just have to sort of oh, like, I just have to lose for 10 minutes. So I'm glad that this game is just like, here's two minutes. You know, you might enjoy too is every, I think it's every month. I'm not sure the exact time, but there are things called splat fests where they're every like throughout the day, they'll update what the levels are. So they're like, here are the levels for salmon run, which is the co-op mode. Here are the levels for PVP. And they're announced in sort of like a, like a, a a morning talk show or like a VH1 kind of show. And the hosts will like have banter and talk about what the new levels are, but they'll also introduce what the spot fests are where basically it used to be two, but now there are three hosts and um, they'll each choose a side in like a very petty argument. And then you choose which team you want to be on. And then you fight for that team. And when it's over, it'll show you like which team won, which is a lot of fun. So like they did a spot fest for the demo and it was rock, paper, scissors. Um, so I think team rock won, but it'll be stuff like that. I'll be like, uh, I remember on Splatoon two, the few I did, it was retro versus modern ketchup versus mayonnaise and, uh, <laughs> trick or treat, uh, for Halloween was, was one of those oh, as cool. well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just pure joy. It's a lot of fun. I, I would recommend it. I've been looking to try to get into the to like some kind of FPS kind of thing. And I, I'm just like you that I can't really I don't know. There's just something about those games that turned me off. So this sounds like a, a fun way to like experiment in that genre. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of proven to me that I do. I think sometimes genres can get overpopulated with a certain style of game and you could convince yourself like, oh, it's not for me. But then I'll play something like this or Overwatch and like really love it. Like I haven't played Overwatch in years, but like that was like the only game I played for like a solid year you know, really pulled me in. And TF2 was similar. I loved TF2. So yeah, I think every genre can, you know, I think there's always room for like different aesthetics, different tones. And that could really like, honestly, it could be as simple as that to like get someone into a style of game they thought wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. So very grateful for Splatoon. It's the best one yet. Pick it up. Okay. I'm going to. All right. Well, that's it. <laughs> with that, with all the Splatoon 3 hype done why don't we wrap up my friend? Um, okay. I just want to thank you again for filling in for Brendan today. I had a yes. great time talking with you about Zelda movies. My honor. Um, privilege. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. It's great. I mean, we've obviously, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on the show again at some point. Cause you've, you've, how many episodes has it been? You joined us for Mario 3d all-stars. Oh, but I was also on for Wii sports. My friend. That was the first one. Yeah. You, I didn't know you were, coming you just showed up (laughs) going back to the usurper king you showed up and you just had we sports resort to the camera and brendan was smiling talking about yeah your friends tricking you that was a classic usurper move and uh yeah so anyway again thank you for joining me um hey dear listener thank you for listening if you like the show, IntoTheCast.online is our hub for everything. Uh, places to leave reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I've seen a few recent reviews. Thank you so much for your kind words. Um, that does help the show out a lot. We also have a Patreon. Special thanks to our patrons. I mean, we've been pretty direct about like the cost of the show and how we love doing it. But you know, we recently asked for a little bit more support so we could pay AJ their full rate, which we reached. Thank you so much for that. We also recently uh, both ordered Steam decks. Mine's coming tomorrow. Uh, so you know, 
truly the only reason I have a PS5, an Xbox, and now a Steam Deck is because of all of your support. I would probably have one, if not none of them, if it, if it were not for the Patreon. So thank you for allowing us to play more games to talk about on this show. And we also have a goal. We're getting pretty close. If we hit $2,000 a month on the Patreon, we're going to do a big uh, episode about the 3DS, kind of like we did for the DS. Not quite as like, like for the DS and for the Game Boy Advance episodes, we played like over a hundred games for the 3ds one it will, it will be more low-key it'll be more like games of kind of immediate interest to us but we definitely wanted to highlight that library and do so in a way that maybe wasn't a full season premiere but something that that patrons can enjoy so if we hit that goal we will we will make that episode so very excited about that possibility obviously do not back the patreon if it puts you in any financial strain but if you're able to it really does help us out quite a bit and I also promise you one day we will do merch. That's also been the two big feedback, which is flattering <laughs> and also constructive, is get a PC. And the other <laughs> is, will you do merch? I'm very flattered that people want merch. Uh, we had a lot of issues with setting up a bank account this year, uh, which is kind of funny in retrospect, but we will get it all sorted out. I, I would guess that's probably going to be a mission for like the beginning of next year. So just nice. be patient with that, but we'll, we'll let you know when that happens. And another thing to plug, uh, this month, I think next week we will be recording our God of War bonus, God of War 2018, and that will likely come out at the end of the month. And for patrons, you're also going to get a uh, patron bonus about Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, which will be obviously related in, in a lot of mythological ways. That's going to be a lot of fun. So that is also on the horizon. Otherwise, uh, that's basically it. Um, Dom, where can people find you and what's going on on your end with Eye of the Duck and all your various creative endeavors? <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a true joy to talk to you about video games and movies and, and everything. It's just nice to hang out. Yeah. Um, I, I miss Brendan. I, it's sad that I'm not, that I can't join both of well, you. Well, you, you usurped I, his throne, usurped so I don't him. think you're that sorry. Yeah. Right, right. I'm the king of twilight, the king of shadows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you can find me on twitter.com, at Dominic Nero. I'm, I'm not on there quite as much as I used to, but I'm, I'm still I, I'm still an entity lurking on those those, um, You're the king scary. of shadows. Everything is kind of vaporous, you know. It's, it's exactly, yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, our podcast "Eye of the Duck" is a podcast about movies and especially movie scenes in particular. Um, we break down every movie by trying to find the scene at its center. It's it's Eye of the Duck scene. It's hosted by myself and the wonderful Adam Volrich, who we mentioned earlier is obsessed with uh, high fidelity media. Um, we love him. Yes, we love Adam. He came on to talk about Fable, and I, whenever there's a new Fable game, we're going to have him on because it's yes. it's he he becomes pure light when it's Fable talk. I love, it's, it's a great sight that. to behold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So next week we'll be uh, wrapping up I colon of the duck, which is our our Mission Impossible series. <laughs> and, That's maybe uh, my favorite name since Xenomorph Summer. Yeah. <laughs> And you'll have to listen to that episode to find out what our next series will be. Spooky season is coming. That's that's the only hint I'll give you. I think yes. you guys have a real love for horror that I always love hearing your discussions uh, regarding. Um, I want to say too, like I love your show, but ju just the premise of Eye of the Duck, it, it's kind of 
talking about putting seeds in a brain. I can't <laughs> stop thinking about that for like every possible piece of media. Oh, like thanks. Brendan and I will just casually say like, it's the eye of the dog as if like everyone knows you, yeah. <laughs> what the David Lynch quote is. Um, but I, I really appreciate the show you and Adam do. It's a great time. Thanks. And I yeah. love your show. It's one of the few podcasts that I listen to every week. <laughs> that's coming. That's high praise from the King of Shadows himself. Um, <laughs> anyway, why don't we wrap up for real? But again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Have a great week. Enjoy Splatoon 3 or Oracle of Seasons or the Satellaview BS Zelda. Your choice, <laughs> baby. Sky's the limit. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Worst garbage, the online.